Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme is all about global expansion. We're meeting two entrepreneurs ensuring that their founding commitments to quality craftsmanship, to premium materials and to great design remain central to their brand even as they enter new markets and territories. We'll start in Melbourne with the co-founder of a luggage maker that aims to bring more intentional design to how we travel. And so luggage typically squares, square boxes and wheels. Squares fail at the corners and the edges. Why don't we make the edges rounder? Then we're in Paris at the HQ of a French-Swedish menswear brand to hear why they're launching in Los Angeles. One day we realised how come the 35% of our sales online are from the US. I literally signed on a store that had only seen on FaceTime. This is The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Ethan Didascalu is the co-founder of July, a luggage and travel accessories brand designed in Melbourne. An avid globetrotter, Ethan felt the travel accessory sector is often rather uninspired and in need of more thoughtfully crafted products. And so July was launched in 2019, starting with their first product, the carry-on, which included their literal reinvention of the wheel. Despite the setback of the COVID-19 pandemic, they continued to diversify product offerings and developed the lightest double-wheel suitcase in the world. After achieving remarkable growth in Australia, the US and Hong Kong, they're now launching right here in the UK. Ethan popped by Midori House, fresh off the plane from Australia, and he began by telling me why he and his co-founder Richard Lee originally decided to enter the premium luggage space. Why does anyone get into anything? At the end of the day, you, you can get obsessed about an idea and go, well, entrepreneurs in particular are arrogant and stupid people. <laughs> you know, you can look at a category, know nothing about it and say, I think I can do it slightly better than the guys who've been doing it for the last 50 to 100 years. So that sort of sets the premise and the tone for what we wanted to do with July. Now, you know, not to say that we were inspired. We went traveling and something happened and we're like, let's make some luggage. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. Back in the day, like, I was obsessed with Rimoir. I still am. They're a fantastic product. They do a great job with the brand now, especially since LVMH have got them. The category of travel is sexy. We love making things. We love being inspired by other things and then drawing it down into the category that we want to do. And so when we were looking at things, we were like, you know, my business partner in particular is fantastic at manufacturing. He's a maker. He knows how to get things done. He's a very detail-driven guy. That's Richard Lee, fantastic gentleman. For myself, I'm the other side. I'm the guy who colors in. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the marketer. I'm the guy who looks at the market and goes, how do we create demand with something? How do we turn this into a fashion product? It, it can be boiled down to like creating quality product that's very color forward, that fits and aligns with what people want to be walking down the, the runway with, right, in, in multiple ways. So for us, it was an opportunity to create something beautiful, we saw the category as an opportunity. Again, like we looked at the category and go, inspired by what others have done. You know, Rimo in particular have done a great job, but Samsonite own the majority of the world's market share. And so these guys dominate for no reason. And after creating July, like our business has grown phenomenally, but it has done so because of the ignorance and the, that was left on the table. 
from some of the incumbents. I love that. I might might sort of rag out your opening remarks about entrepreneurs and their stupidity. It's not the usual opening salvo, to be honest. Now, tell me, if, can we get a bit technical and geeky about, about product? Yeah, Is that okay? Is it actively encouraged? Encouraged um, and loved. Where, where should we start? Should we start at the bottom and work up? Do you want to talk about German polycarb or do you want to talk about wheels first? You choose. I'll tell you where we spent our first our first 50 grand, our 50 grand AUD. It was in the moulding. So, so in order to, what we did back in the day was like, all right, well, let's read reviews. We didn't have any money. We didn't have much money anyway. And we said, let's read reviews and see where others had gone wrong. And so luggage typically squares, square boxes and wheels. Squares fail at the corners and the edges. Why don't we make the edges rounder so that there was more bounce back? What do you need to do to get a rounder edge? You need to change the wheel housing, the thing that holds the wheel, the most generic part of a suitcase that you typically buy for cents on the dollar off the shelf. So we had to remold for that to get a really rounder radius for the for the edges. So that's where we spent our first 50 grand on, on a part that nobody would care about at all. I think that set the tone for what we wanted to do with July. So like have a have a beautiful aesthetic, have the design brief based off problem solving or what was already happening in the category. And then we popped aluminium corners on it because, we, you know, an aesthetic that was a tribute to the, the retro age of, of travel. And it started from there, you know. We, we then had that, that classic range where, you know, it was sort of our battler. It had the power bank. It has a handle that stops wherever you want it to stop, no matter what shoes you're wearing. I can talk about product for days, right? But it wasn't just it wasn't just about that suitcase. Where I think our product development started to get a little bit more advanced is when we decided to split the range out. So we had our sedan, but now we're going for our micro and our SUV. And that resulted in our best-selling ranges right now, which is the trunk range. Again, looking at taking on Rimoa at the luxury end, beautiful luggage, like very, very high quality, but a fraction of the price of what you'd usually pay for that for that stuff. And then we went down the other end to compete on the Samsonite front. They compete on lightweight. So we went out after we went after that and created the world's lightest carry-on at 1.8 kilos. And so that was our like differentiating split of going, let's try and use product development to enter new categories and target new people. And there's a kind of thoughtfulness and a, there's something pleasingly sort of holistic about your approach, right down to other details that maybe people might not appreciate until they say, oh, this makes a real difference. For example, the fact that you can nest all the cases together, pack them away, put them in your wardrobe or in the loft at a fraction of the space. A trifling detail to many, but it's one of those things where every time you pack them all away, you're like, oh, that's good. Why Why doesn't everybody do that? Why didn't everybody do that? Is it just because they haven't started from that point of ign- ignorance and enthusiasm that you described? The, the category has grown into something that is a little bit generic. When was the last time you walked into one of those luggage retailers and felt inspired? It was kind of a grudge purchase. You're leaving in four days. You needed to go buy a couple of shirts. You need some new pair of walking shoes. I need a suitcase. You're just ticking boxes. And so you get in there. It's it's kind of like uh, being at the club late at night, right? It's kind of like good enough, close enough. It's late enough. Let's just take what's on the shelf here. And so that was the category. That kind of still is the category for a lot of people. Having understood what the customer wanted and gone, let's make great quality product, affordable price point, but very fashion forward and color forward. The next step was now going, right, yes, we're D2C, we're, we're online exclusive for most of it. But when you listen to the customer, you go, they actually need physical retail mm-hmm. because there's a lot of last minute travelers. There are people that even if you convince them that your product is fantastic, that they need it, there's a hard reality that e-commerce hasn't caught up 
to the immediacy of need for travellers. Let me ask you about that specifically, because obviously at Monocle, drum roll, we like physical retail. We're obsessed about brick and mortar. And actually, it's never been more important, actually, post-2020 and the world reopening, which now hopefully it's kind of dragged itself back to where it needs to be. Talk to me, though, about the magic of travel, even if it's travel for work, not travel for leisure. It's about the experience. And there is something about that physical engagement, that chance to really meet people, Tell us about why it's so powerful, how consumers have engaged. I know I've, I've yeah. seen, you know, you track queues outside. You love it when people, you know, we love me- me- message you. But what, but, and you've got more and more openings. Obviously, you're coming to the UK. Just tell us about what yeah. what is that magic? Can you, can you boil it down? What does it deliver? I mean, the, the funniest part is Richard and myself are not retail guys at all. We have never, we've never worked in retail. We've always done hospo, uh, which is quite funny. I feel like that hospo, that hospitality uh, sense of like looking after a customer has, has come through into the business, but we've never done retail, but we're obsessed with it. We're obsessed with it because the customer wants it for starters. A lot of people leave last minute. They want the product last minute. They want to touch and feel things and they want to grab and go. The best part is like we put a retail store in the office, so literally we're typing away. We're listening to conversations. The light suitcase came about because we heard what people wanted. They were measuring things. They were weighing things. They were a bit concerned with their flying budget. We started developing. So it's like a really great feedback loop. The funniest part is with the retail team, customers come in, they'll stay for an hour to chat about their trip. And it's it's a really strange thing because, they're, oh, we're going to Japan. Japan's been closed for a long time. We're really excited. I haven't been skiing in a while. And it's like you've come in to buy a suitcase, you end up staying for an hour having a chat. I mean, it's not everybody, but it happens more often than you think. And so traveling, you know, especially after being locked down for so long, travel is inspiring. It is all the kitschy things that we think it is in that you want to go somewhere, you want to be a new person, you want to see something new, you want to dress differently, you want to eat something unique. It is an inspiring thing to do. And I think we, we all align with that that feeling, but to actually personify it into like, a retail moment where people are coming in to buy a typically grudged item that end up having an hours long conversation with you about their trip is really, it's quite inspiring. So for us, retail, we love it. I uh, want to keep rolling more out. And I think the really interesting thing is if we were a retail business that then went and did something online, it would be seen as old school and, and nothing, nothing really that progressive because we're an e-commerce business that's shifted into retail as well as part of a omni-channel experience. It's seen as progressive. It's seen as cool and the right thing to do, which is, you know, we're on the right side of that. And I mean, we can't get enough of it. So the next step is obviously in London to open up something here to get people to touch and feel the product. Just got to find somewhere where the rent isn't ridiculous. Let me ask you about another pleasingly, to my mind, old school. I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean, it's a compliment approach. I know you like advertising, big old 48 sheet poster. You and Richard, I guess, and all the team, do you just are you kind of traditionalists in a way? Because I, again, I think there's something amazing about a 48 sheet poster. Is that old fashioned? I think, I think there's a lot of the old fashioned stuff is coming back into cycle. And so we call it old fashioned because it, it feels retro and retro is kind of cool again. And this like first wave of authenticity that was like the millennial cry out for what brands were meant to be was definitely that first stage. Second stage is like, well, let's actually, let's show me that, show me those values. And there is something romantic when, Anybody can open a website. You can, you know, interact with manufacturers across border. You can start selling e-commerce within 15 minutes. Like there is no barriers now to doing any kind of business. So when there's no barriers and you can do everything, what do you do? You want something to differentiate yourself. 
You want something that feels exclusive, that is experiential, that people can feel tangible and, and real about that brand. And what does that mean? That means going back to the basics, physical retail, printed material, things that help translate the brand instantly on an emotional level. Yeah, that's... Have you been reading our monocle user manual? This is weird. I'm, I'm a long-time subscriber. This is what I'm supposed to be saying to you. Um, and that's, I, well, another thing I find interesting is, well, you use this word authentic, which I think is interesting. It's one of these ones that can get banded around. I think there's clear intention from what you say about it. How do you marry up then this success that you're enjoying? Because you have a very committed following, and that's from your run-of-the-mill consumer. These are people who are coming in and spending time with your sales team yeah. and buying the products, and they're quite evangelical about them, but you also have some quite high-profile consumers, users of the products who love to get the message out, which is obviously great for your brand building. Is there a tension there, or actually is the important thing to stay true to your values and treat one and all just the same? It's, it's tough because while we see ourselves increasingly as a fashion business, the DNA of who we are as founders is very much experimental. We are constantly trying new things and testing new things, and I don't ever want to lose that. But this sort of breakaway of what the core product is into other streams of like luxury and light is an experiment with what the brand can actually be outside of just making one thing and, and hammering it home. This business stands on the shoulders of its product. And I say that proudly because it doesn't matter what the poster looks like or the retail store looks like or anything else. As long as the product is fantastic, people will keep coming back. They'll like it. They'll recommend it. So for us, it's all about product development. It's making sure that the product is strong, the product is relevant, that the product works for the, the intended use. Whatever happens after that is a bonus. And how then do you check your enthusiasm almost and just make sure that you're still adhering to all of those founding principles? Is that perhaps the more immediate tension that you have to try and manage? I would say that you're not wrong. The, the tension is within more than anything else. And it is about how do we grow as much as possible, but at the same time, continue to make fantastic products in a timely manner. And that's for us, the timely matter mm -hmm. thing is, is what matters the most. It's very easy to do a design business that takes 18 month cycles to develop new products. We like to do it in six. And that means that there's a lot of thinking, there's a lot of drive in order to get that done quickly. It means developing prototypes extremely quickly, testing things from a very early stage. We don't actually use any of the real product in the team. Everybody is at any point in time working with two or three samples in their real day-to-day -day life, which we love. You know, it's like everybody now, you're living out of this suitcase for the next two weeks. Tell me what's wrong with it, you know? And so they'll come back, oh, this needs this. The wheels need to be bigger. We love that. I mean, at the end of the day, there's always going to be attention when you grow. For us, even being uh, traditionally branded as direct-to-consumer, we then went into a retail partnership with Lane Crawford in Hong Kong. Fantastic brand. You know, Lane Crawford's top tier, uh, especially in the Hong Kong market. And so for us, we said, we're D to C, but let's work something out mm. because we want to do this. And so we're open to ideas. We're open to experimentation. And I like that about us. I like that we're not so rigid, that we're not saying we only do it this way. We're only D to C. We're only suitcases. I like the fact that we're, we're open to explore things, you know, and it keeps me interested too, man. I don't want to get bored doing the same thing. It's an Aussie brand. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Well, we're Aussie, you know, and Aussies are a mixed bag of, of internationals, you know, there's, there's, what is an Aussie anyway? There's, well, no, but this we're is, half British, well, this is half my question. I'm Greek background, Richard's Chinese. As, as a brand becomes really global, what does its Australianism mean? And again, is that another thing where you have to be sure to keep that? 
written through almost literally the fabric of the products? Or is that something where you and Richard are very confident that just through your vigour and your approach, your presence, that that is still front and centre? It's a really tough one, that one. You know, when we launched in the US, it was very much G'day USA, kangaroos and koalas, because they do love it. And you see it with, I've seen all the work from Tourism Australia and the way that they try and market to Americans. And it is very much on the nose, throw some kangaroos in there, Show them exactly what they want to see because they love that stuff. I blame. I still blame Paul Hogan for this. You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's the right? legacy. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. long <laughs> tail is still there. But you can't do that in other markets, and especially in the UK, you can't really do that. And I don't think we want to do that. I don't think the brand essentially wants to be that. Look, we, we look to Deeslip as as inspiration of what an Australian brand can actually represent in market. It is not about the g'day, how are you. It is very much a tribute to quality, high quality product. There is a like a casual larrikinness to an Australian character, but it's not necessarily a, a sort of bogan casualness that, that can come through in, in, in sort of like the very late term of it. Being Australian is, is just an exciting way to say like, hey, we love to travel and we're quite friendly, we're open. We can't be as exclusive as maybe a French luxury brand, but we don't want to be, you know, it does have a sense of accessibility to it. And I guess if, if people love the brand, they'll love it wherever it's from. And and you have to just keep coming back to that consumer experience. And it is interesting that looking from afar through you know, social media channels and feedback, anecdotal and real, there's a real, I mentioned this earlier, this sort of evangelical zeal that your consumers have. I think not only are they coming back, but you mentioned earlier, they'll, they'll tell their friends, they'll tell their colleagues. That's an amazing resource. What's that like? I don't know if you open the overhead bin and there's a there's a couple of Julys racked up in there. It's so do you, nice. Do you try and look around and see who it is? If you do hear those moments, people talking about it, what, I, what, I do you still get the same buzz? I pull everyone up. If I see them, I go up to them and say, I love your suitcase. And if they, they always say thanks and then they're sort of a little bit sheepish about it uh, or they'll keep chatting. They're like, oh yeah, I love it. I did this, I did that. And then we start engaging and it's great. And every time I met, like I pull everyone up. I love doing it. We love going to the airports and seeing it. And that's for us how we also measure our success as well, right? Have a look at some carousel share. Are we seeing some momentum? Like Sydney, like you know, across Australian domestic airports, smashing it, smashing it. Starting to see more in New York and LA now, fantastic. I hope when I, uh, next time I rock up to Heathrow, it's full of July as well. But it's it's a really good indicator for us of how we're going. And I don't ever want to stop chatting to to real customers when I see them. That's good. So if people see Ethan around, just go up and yeah, pick, yeah. pick his brain. Roll, you, roll your suitcase as well. Over. <laughs> yeah, you could be on commission. Tell me then, what's the ambition? I mean, you've basically described a lot of it already, Ethan, in terms of the geographic footprint and this real enthusiasm to keep engaging with people, which I think is is, is amazing and, and defines actually a lot of the really strong brands that we talk to on this program and that Monocle covers generally across print and all the rest. But how, how do you calibrate what success looks like? Because I guess you have to, at times, pause and there'll be an Excel sheet and you're going to talk about P&L and all the rest of it, but you want to keep focused on these bigger objectives. What does that process of calibration, what metrics do you use to define your ongoing success? You know, it's it's a tough one because you've got your hardline business metrics that everybody has to adhere to, right? You need to be profitable. You need to be growing and doing all that sort of jazz, right? Let's forget all that for now, you know, because and the reality is success needs to be a little bit like your own personal success or success for the business. You, you, you want autonomy. You want your mastery. You want these things that help you feel inspired to go to work every day. Now, I'll talk about carousel share as a good example, right? You want to go to the airport, see a few of them and be like, We've done a good job here. Fantastic. I love that. Or when you see one beaten up a little bit, you're like, I need to work on that. I need to work on those bumpers. I need to get some things changed. There needs to be a sense of, 
are we actually competing on a global scale? And so I don't think you ever get to that self-actualization of I've, I've made it. You, as a business, you're going to keep growing. You'll keep trying to get there. And, you know, there is one target, right? There is one global player in the world that dominates the market share. Let's take them over. You know, you're, you're gunning for them. I'm just hearing your, your CFO's calling in uh, and she's saying <laughs> that thing you said about forget about the PL. She, she doesn't like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we patch her through? No, I'm joking, of course. Um, what's next? Obviously, super exciting launching this month uh, here in, in the UK and then an exciting July for July here and around the world. Give us a couple of other th- markers. Where might people find you around the world in the next few weeks and months? What's, what's exciting you about what's ahead in the short term? Look, the UK, the UK for us is super exciting because when I haven't spent that much time here personally, you know, I've always flown in and out. We've done a couple of days. For us, it's about focusing on this market, getting through Christmas, making sure people are loving it. Uh, I want to work with a lot of local creatives. So photographers, uh, I want to work with film guys. I want to work with stylists. I feel like stylists have got just their finger on the pulse in every market. And so it's great to like talk to as many as, and meet as many of them as possible. And so with that, just like grow UK as much as possible. And from there, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, we are going to go to Athens anyway, because I've great background. I want to go, want to go back to the, the homeland and, and say hello, but we'll sort of, we'll keep growing across, across Europe and Asia. Like Hong Kong is obviously working really well for us for, for Lane Crawford. And everyone keeps talking about Japan dominating right now and everyone's traveling to and from. So I'd love to, I'd love to go check that out. That was Ethan Didascalu, the co-founder of luggage and travel accessories brand July, about which you can find out more at july.com. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Rundorf is a men's sportswear label that combines the practicality and functionality of Swedish design with the elegance of French style to create high-performance premium menswear pieces. Since launching in 2011, it's developed an impressive range of sportswear, loungewear, swimwear and undergarments made with high-quality materials. Our Laura Kramer popped by Rondorf HQ in the heart of Paris to learn more about the brand and to hear how they plan expansion into new markets without losing their core values. Klaus Lindorf is shutting the window to block out sirens outside his showroom, located in the first arrondissement, just around the corner from the Louvre. You see? Right on. <laughs> right on. Never Ooh. goes wrong. Let me also get this here. He sat in the sunny room, sipping coffee, surrounded by fabric samples, racks of clothes, and an impressive collection of fashion magazines, neatly stacked along the side of the hallway, rising out of the floor like columns. Klaus is one of the co-founders of the Swedish-French sportswear men's label Randorf, and he wants to clear up any confusion people might have about the brand. I'm the Dorf. People always think there is a wrong Dorf, but there is none. We were two people and we took the end of our names and that became Ron and Dorf. And then we signed off Paris and Stockholm. Paris for Ron because he was French and Dorf myself because I'm from Stockholm. I've always been very impressed with brands who always made sure that they were very, very true to where they came from. For example, a brand like Louis Vuitton I worked with for eight years and they always had a checklist saying if we can check these boxes here, then we'll do it. Otherwise, it's not us. And I think with the Rondorf as well, it's not about reinventing and going crazy. It's about the basic and the platform we had from the beginning when we believed in that there was a, a spot in the market for a brand like Rondorf. 
and to keep being very faithful to that, but of course also be in, in line with the, uh, the, the trends of the time. Always be very, very truthful to where you come from and what you thought this band was all about from the beginning. With stores in France, Germany and the UK, Rondorf is now opening a second location in the US on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. And Klaus says luck played a big role in breaking America. One day we realized how come the 35% of our sales online are from the US? And then we realized we were lucky. We had um, our collection sold at St. Bart. And as you know, a lot of Americans uh, fly into St. Bart. And it got us going. But uh, we were very, very lucky to get into the American market. And then we said we would be insane not to try to push this further. If this little thing could make so much, then why should we not try to make the most of it? During COVID, when everybody else was closing down, I literally signed on a store that I had only seen on FaceTime. I couldn't even visit America. I wasn't allowed to get into the country. And we signed on this contract and uh, we have a beautiful flagship store there now. And we also realized that online, the biggest city in the world buying Rondorf was New York and we didn't even have a store. And so we opened this store and the next opening will be in LA, which is our second store. So we're opening on Sunset Boulevard, uh, opposite Equinox, because we do a huge collaboration with Equinox as we are a sportswear brand. And Equinox have us online and in their top stores around the US. And then there are always these little crazy things that happened last year. There was this film called Fire Island, and they invite, they say, oh, can we get some swimwear for Fire Island, <laughs> for this film, Fire Island? I was like, yeah, absolutely, no problem. And then they call for Fire Island and say, would you like to have a little store here? It was like, yeah, totally. And we shipped some things over. It went really well. And we invited back and we're opening up the store uh, this week. Fire Island, as in the fame, infamous Fire Island. The, infa- <laughs> the infamous Fire Island, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Could, couldn't, couldn't have put it better, yeah, absolutely. You also have quite a presence in Mykonos. Yeah, well, the thing, once again, it was, uh, this is totally insane. One of my absolute best friends is Caroline Reed, a.k.a. Pam Ann, the crazy airline hostess comedian. She's a DJ at Jackie O, the big beach uh, in Mykonos every year. Met the owner of Jackie O. And I said, how can you have these ghastly uh, towels on the beach? And I said, you should have our towels. And he said, I think that's a great idea. So we signed up. And three years ago, we delivered 600 towels for the entire Super Paradise Beach in Mykonos. And then I said, why don't we dress up all your staff as well? And this year, we're dressing up the beach the team, so the pool, the beach, the restaurant on the beach, the two restaurants in town in Mykonos, the nightclub and the yacht club. And we made a collection that is signed Rondorf and Jackio, which is called Mykonos Boy. With new store openings and exciting collaborations in the resort wear market, Klaus tells me they have big plans for the brand in the next five years. The online is still very important. I think the stores we have today in Berlin, in London, in Paris, in New York, and in LA, we're opening Miami next year in January. And then I think we kind of find with the stores that are around where people who buy us are. Now, I think the, the, the challenge, the challenge or where we want to go is to be where people actually wear us. So I think we're for, for the first time, 
We're launching a resort collection in, in October. And I think more and more of doing associations or collaborations with hotels or resorts around the world. So whether you're skiing in Verbier or you are at the Amanpuri in Phuket, that you will see uh, Rondorf where you will actually wear it. You will never jump higher. You will never run faster with Rondorf, but you will look better in it. <laughs> From Monocle Radio in Paris, I'm Laura Kramer. That was Klaus Lindorf, co-founder of Rondorf, in conversation with Monocle's Laura Kramer in Paris. And you can learn more about the brand. Head on over to rondorf.com. That's it for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do keep an eye out, or an ear that should be, for Eureka every Friday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. Listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com. That's where you can also subscribe to the magazine and read more about better businesses every month. You can follow us and catch up with the archive too via your preferred podcast platform. To contact the team, Drop a note to Laura. She's on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs>